Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome. To the Cooking for Chemo podcast. <laughs> I'm Chef Ryan, your host. And I'm Jesse Callahan, the producer. Da, 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 You're da, da, a better singer than me. The purpose of this podcast is to tackle the eating-related side effects of chemotherapy and discuss the practical real-world solutions to make your food taste great again. That's right. We're going to make your food taste not just decent, not just good. We're going to make it taste great. I don't want to eat it unless it tastes great. Eh, I'll eat some mediocre food. Sometimes <laughs> I'm just hungry. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the role of sound when eating and how that comes into play to help you be hungry. Do you like the theme music that we had coming in? I liked it. It's like da 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 da. You always make the best theme music. Yeah, you know, if only I was any good at playing the music that comes out of my mouth. Like, if only there's a way to download my music in my brain directly into like a music software. I'd be like the world's greatest singer-songwriter. You'd be a musical genius. Yes, the genius. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're talking about your sense of sound, right? Which makes sense because I was singing music, right? Dun, exactly. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. That's <laughs> oh, the only one I know. Okay, so. Wait, we're not going to have to pay royalties on that, are we? Oh, God, I hope not. I don't know if anybody owns that. Please don't. You know what? I'm off a couple notes, so we're so, good. So, right, okay. We're good. Okay, so. <laughs> so sound. Sound. We've been talking about sound here. So what is sound? Well, you're listening to sound. You're listening to Ryan Public Radio. All Ryan, all the time. And up next, we're going to have more slow talking with soft thinking. Okay, so your sense of sound <laughs> is literally being experienced right now, right? It's your ability to hear vibrations in the air. We use them mostly in language as humans, right? Or special effects on television. Music. Music, right? All these different ways of expressing ourselves audioly. Audio, audioly? I don't think that's the right word. If it's, a, if it's not a word, you just made it up and How we're about, gonna roll with it. If it's, if it's nice, it's audioliciously. Uh, Audiolicious, I like that one. Audiolicious. Right, okay, so we have, we have the sense of sound, right? It comes in the form of what we call audio. So there are vibrations in the air and they go into your ears and they vibrate your tympanic membrane and uh, it sends a signal to your brain which then you convert into information, okay, that you can understand. So that's basically what your sense of sound is. So, for example, we'll use your dog. Your dog hears a sound and then your dog responds by going woof, 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 woof. <laughs> You know, right? It'll be something that I didn't even hear. It didn't even hear. Yeah. And then your dog sits up and starts buffing, right? Starts woof, 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 woof. Your dad says the word, word buff. And that's yeah. my favorite way to describe how our dog barks. He does buff. He buffs. He doesn't bark. He doesn't woof. Boof, he buffs. Boof, boof. So your dog will hear something, <laughs> hear the stimulus, and then will respond, right? So, for example, we have our doorbell. Our doorbell is another perfect example of an abstract sound that means something to us, right? If aliens landed on Earth tomorrow... You, they'd hear your doorbell ring and wouldn't have the association to know that that noise, ding dong, means there's somebody at your front door. Or means that there's somebody at your front door, right? They wouldn't have any idea of what that meant. Or some like kid in the middle of the jungle would have, who was you know raised by wolves would have no idea that a doorbell or a knocking on the door meant that there was someone outside. And that was the way to communicate through sound somebody's needs, right? That right. I need to be let in or I need to talk to you or I need to show you a pamphlet, right? Or sell you siding, <laughs> which is what normally happens around here. So 
your sense of sound comes into play in eating in a lot of different ways. So the first one is, so we've talked about, uh, we've talked about your sense of taste and how you got to touch, right? You're, you physically have to touch the food to your tongue to experience it. We talked about your sense of smell and how your sense of smell is a sense that occurs from a distance. Jesse's making the perfect illustration of that, right? I have a big nose. I can smell hard. <laughs> so these smells waft through the air from a distance and build your appetite. Then we talked about your sense of sight. You have to see. Okay, then we talked about touch, which physically touches it. Well, your sense of sound is another distance perception sense, right? You don't have to physically be touching the thing that's vibrating to understand what the information is trying to uh, experience or it's trying to send to you. So your sense role of sound can be used as a learning tool. It can be used as a cooking tool. And of course, there's also the really controversial thing that I say, which is that crunchy is not a texture. It's actually an onomatopoeia. So we'll talk about that in just a second. <laughs> I'm making it as a sound. Thank you. I'm right. proving your point. <laughs> exactly. So the first way that we use sound when we're cooking and eating is cooking sounds, right? So we think of the sounds of cooking. So you have something sizzling in the pan or sizzling on the grill, right? And then we have the cling, clang, pom, ping. That's when I know something good's about to happen because I hear that the cabinet open and then close <laughs> and then it go clunk on the stove and I'm like, Bong. oh buddy, I'm about to get some food. And then you hear the, the <laughs> what, what's the noise? It's kind of like this like, we have a, a an, an induction grill. An yeah, the induction glass grill, top, The yeah. glass top. And so it kind of sounds like this when you cook on it. It's like, it's like this like light <laughs> shuffling sound over this piece it's of glass. Weird. It's It's not as, you know, it's not as good of a cooking sound as the like, but in a restaurant, you have all these cooking sounds. Yeah, yeah. Bang, bang, people yelling, you know, I need this, get me that. You have all the cooking sounds. All these different noises, you know, even chopping sounds like, right? These all are noises that tell us that food is coming, food is happening. And so, Cooking really is a very, very audio-based profession. I mean, it is. You hear all these sounds, you communicate all this stuff. Human beings communicate tons of information through our, through our mouths, through, and we get it through our ears, and so many other ways. And so, cooking sounds tell us a lot of things. First off, they tell us that as the person who's being cooked for, that food is coming. But as the prep, or as the cook who's preparing the meal, it also tells me things like, is this pan hot, right? If I put garlic into a hot pan, it'll sizzle right away. Well, that noise is the sound of water escaping from the food that you're cooking. And the hotter mm. the item is being cooked at, or the hotter that the item is itself, the higher pitched and louder that tone is because it's escaping at a higher frequency. Um, and so it creates a higher and higher and louder and louder tone. And so when we're cooking Chinese food, like fried rice, I always explain to Jesse that I'm listening to the sound of the rice sizzling and popping because the tone at which it sizzles, the higher pitched and the louder it is, the more cooked the rice is and the closer it is to being done. So same thing with boiling. You can hear boiling. If something starts, it's boiling at a much higher rate than if it's. I've learned 
tone or like tune that one out because um, sometimes I still forget I'm boiling water and then I'll go back and be like, oh my God, I was making tea. And then half the, half the water's gone. I'm like, I wish it bubbled louder. I didn't hear it anymore. People always ask, Ryan, you always say that your wife burns water. How is this possible? It's possible. It's, it's called possible. ADHD. You, you put <laughs> water on the stove, you let it evaporate out and it chars whatever remaining minerals are left in the pot. And then yeah. you get a 30 minute scrubbing and CLR. Hey, and <laughs> I, at least I catch it before it gets to that. Yeah, I just, you know, I usually. just wish it bubbled a little louder. So I make all the tea in the house as a result. <laughs> yes. Yeah. When you ask me to make tea, I'm like, uh-oh. Jesse makes cold foods that are pre-cooked. And, you know, like, hey, can you make me a sandwich? Or can you warm up these leftovers and put them in the microwave for a defined amount of time? That's where Jesse excels. See, I've learned to cook from you, but it, you're just better at it. <laughs> you know, you always say it's because I like to. Yes, and you like to. I do like to. I don't get the same pleasure out of cooking no, it that you do. So I do. that's why I let you cook. It's my artistic expression. <laughs> it's like my version of painting. You know, like some people have an art studio, I have a kitchen. So cooking sounds, right? So not only does this tell us what's going on with the food, but also as the person having the food come to us, right? This tells us that food is coming, right? If you couldn't smell, you couldn't see it, and you could only taste it, and hear it, you would know that food was being made for no other reason than there was cooking sounds, right? So it also, um, another fun way that sound comes into play is when you go to a restaurant, right? It sets your expectations. If you go to the Mexican restaurant, what kind of music are you going to hear? Mariachi music? Right. Hopefully. Right. Okay. It gets me excited. Right. I want to eat some tacos and some margaritas. You go to a Chinese restaurant, you're, if you hear any music at all, you're going to hear like that classical Chinese style music, the real soft, you know, uh, the real soft, pretty music. I can't music. mimic it. I I'm not musical. But it's like pretty and relaxing. Exactly. Yeah. It's it puts super you in the relaxing. mood. It puts yeah. you in the mood, right? Same thing if you go to like a Vietnamese restaurant or a Japanese restaurant. <gasps> A barbecue restaurant or a steak place. Oh, you got that country music going? Oh, yeah. Right. Or like we go to that barbecue place and they always play blues music. Oh, blues yes. Blues music oh. and barbecue just pair together. Well, yes. as we always say that my music pairs best with crooner music, right? Yes. I, whenever I start cooking, I play crooner music. Well, if you go into the Mexican restaurant and you start hearing Chinese music, you're going to be what? Confused? It's going to be a little weird. Be like, gonna, where am I? I'm in the mood for fajitas, and I definitely hear Chinese music. Am I in the right place? Am I getting beef and broccoli? Am I getting spring rolls? Or am I going to get fajitas and tacos am here? Am I getting a margarita or plum wine? Right, exactly. <laughs> but that sense or some of sake. sound, right, it sets your expectations. And if they're off, right, that association right. or the pigeonholing, if the, they don't line up, <gasps> what's going on? I'm scared. You know, like, this is new. I can't handle this, right? This is that idea. It can so, be confusing. So we really use this sense of sound to set the mood, set the environment, set the tone. And what happens is we get slowly over time, classically conditioned to know that one thing, a sound, a tone, leads to another thing. So for example, the doorbell goes ding dong. And then we've learned through classical conditioning that that means there's someone at the doorbell, right? And we've, that's been there since we were little kids. So let's talk about classical conditioning for just a second. So there's this guy, his name's Pavlov, right? This is some high tech 19th century, 
you know, 19th century, early 1900s, late 1800s type of science. This is the best kind of science. This is mad science, you know. Oh, buddy, watch out. I always like to imagine that Pavlov had some kind of spiraling tower, you know, and lightning <laughs> strikes. So here's this guy, That's Pavlov. That's very imaginative. And he's got some dogs, <laughs> and he thinks to himself, you know, when I feed my dogs, I notice they get really excited, right? They know the food's coming, so I'm going to do something. So... He takes a dinner bell and he starts ringing the dinner bell every time that he goes to feed his dogs. And he does this for a while, maybe a couple weeks, maybe a couple months. I'm not really sure. For the point of the story, it doesn't really matter. So he rings the bell and every time the dogs go, oh, food is coming. Oh, geez. You should see me. I'm jumping around <laughs> I wish right now. people could. Yeah. They're dancing, they're spinning, they're excited, right? You've seen your dog or your cat, right? Your cat knows when it's time to eat. It gets excited, you know, you hear the pops sound of the cat food. The cat gets excited, right? Meow, meow, meow. Never as excited as a dog, though. No, but pretty excited. <laughs> so, Pavlov, being this genius that he is, says, I got this great idea. Instead of ringing this bell, uh, I'm going to stop ringing the bell and not bring them any, f or I'm going to stop bringing them food when I ring the bell. And, he's, and he rings the bell, but he doesn't bring him any food. So what does your dog do as soon as he hears the bell, right? The dog starts jumping around, getting excited. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, there's food coming. I love food. Food time's the best. Oh my God, right? Because the dog's jumping up and down. Starts drooling, starts salivating. He has the expectation and the biological response that food is coming because he hears the bell. Because now he knows that the bell means food. Except he doesn't bring any food. So this poor dog is so excited and so ready to eat. And I feel so bad for these dogs. You know, they're so excited I'm sure to they eat. got fed later. I'm sure they got fed later, <laughs> later. But so he learns that, you know, you can provide a stimulus, for example, a bell ringing before you feed somebody. And that bell indicates food. Well, the same thing happens in humans. And I use this, this training tool with my mom, bless her heart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she hates when I tell this story, but it's such an effective tool. So I love crooner music. I do. It's just my favorite. I love vocal jazz. I think my food tastes better with Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis and Dean Martin and all those guys. I think my food tastes better with a little Louis Armstrong. It just does. It just has, I don't know, something about it, as they would say, a je ne sais quoi. A little bit of something you can't put your finger on, right? So I would always, every time I cook for my mom, I would put on crooner music. And still to this day, when my mom hears Frank Sinatra singing Fly Me to the Moon, she's like, hey, <laughs> should we get some Italian food? <laughs> she does. It's so funny. It's it's weird. My mom has come to associate crooner music with Italian food because that's what I cooked for her a lot is we cooked a lot of spaghetti and meatballs and cannelloni and things she really liked, right? To get her to eat. She's so, like, hey, you guys hungry? You, you guys hungry? hungry? You want to go get some Italian food? Yeah, I'll play Frank Sinatra. <laughs> and all of a sudden she's like, cannelloni? Yeah. <laughs> Fly me to the cannelloni. <laughs> and that's that's how that's how classical conditioning works. And we can really use that inside of cooking for chemo and cooking for people to set their expectations with an audio response, right? So let's say you love uh, Hank Williams Jr., right? You play a little Hank every time you're going to feed somebody, right? If you like it, they'll hear Hank Williams Jr. and they'll be like, is it time for enchiladas, right? <laughs> Are we going to have curried naan? Okay, great. Right? So we can use this classical conditioning technique to build this appetite from a distance by not smelling the food, not just smelling the food, not just seeing the food, not just tasting the food, but hearing these tones to set the expectation that it's time to eat and food is coming. So, and this really works, especially when we have positive experiences with eating, right? So if we've got the taste right, the smell right, the sound right, the look right, and we set this tone 
you know, we play, I don't know, let's, let's just use Frank Sinatra as an example. We play Frank Sinatra every time we're about to eat or every time I'm cooking and then my food tastes good, it smells good, I'm not getting nauseous when I eat, all of a sudden, every time I hear this, I'm gonna start getting hungry because I have a positive association, right? If you start having bad associations, you know, like every time you eat, you get nauseous, that music could actually slowly over time induce nausea. So you gotta be really careful with it. It's gotta be used in conjunction. You know, it's one of those slow superpowers that you can develop over time. But if you're the caregiver or you're the even the person going through treatment, you can consciously know that I put this on and it sets the mood. And so um, that's really where that all comes into and your sense of sound when you're eating. So you can tell when food is cooking. You can hear that food is cooking. You can tell the condition of the food cooking um, by the sizzling, and of course, you can use that sense of sound and classical conditioning to teach yourself to become hungry whenever you hear this stimulus. That's so fascinating. You don't think all of that sound goes into it because you just go about your everyday routine typically, and you're not thinking, oh, I hear it sizzling on right. the stove. I hear music in the background. It's just fascinating. Humans, a little piece of the pie. Humans pick up unbelievable amounts of data on a daily basis that gets pigeonholed somewhere in your brain. Some of it gets forgotten. Some of it gets remembered. But over time, over you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 years worth of time, you've learned and absorbed all this into who you are. And it's just part of the human experience. And now you're using it for cooking for chemo. You can use it for good <laughs> or for evil. So we have an audience email, Chef Ryan. And it says, Chef Ryan. Oh, that's my name. <laughs> Don't wear it out. I'm trying to get my husband to eat more routinely. He eats so sporadically that it worries me that he's not getting enough food. Thanks, Linda. Well, Linda, I have to tell you that this is a genuine concern and a genuine problem. And as you know, we've talked about this before, that not eating one meal is fine. Not eating two meals is okay, but missing a meal every single day leads to cachexia, which is systematic starvation. When you start missing the calories, you start missing it over time, you start missing the nutrients, and then you start having a cumulative deficit, which is a fancy way of saying, you ain't got what you need. <laughs> so Keep it simple. Keep it simple, right? <laughs> I always speak so highly, and I, I gotta sometimes stop doing that. So you gotta think that over time, right? If you save two pennies, right? Instead of one penny, you end up with twice as much. Three pennies, three times as much. Well, if you're, you're only saving one penny instead of three pe pennies every time, you've got a third of what you need. Same thing is true for food and nutrients. Now, the good news is that we can eat and build it back up and so on and so forth. So, so if you're missing once every once in a while, I wouldn't worry too much about it. But if it's every day, this is where we start talking about cooking for chemo stuff. This is where we really jump in here and say, hey, let's do some things and make some radical decisions here. So the first thing I would do is uh, start with what we talked about with classical conditioning. Start playing music every time it's time to eat, right? It's to build that association, whether it's Chinese music or Mexican music or mariachi music or techno. You know, if you if your husband wants to eat Linda and go... He really likes to chew at 140 beats per minute. You know, we got to figure out something that will become dedicated to this idea of eating. Jesse's just losing it over here. I just never thought about chewing the techno. <laughs> chewing so fast. I worked in the restaurant industry. That's slow chewing. <laughs> so, so we want to associate, build this classical conditioning, this association on the food, right? So associate this sound, you know, ring a bell. Play, play, you know, like they say, get it on, ring a gong, right? You know, so we want to build some some kind of association to know over time that this 
stimulus, you know, the mariachi music or whatever it is, leads to food. This Frank Sinatra leads to food, right? And every time, and he may not realize it consciously, it's a subconscious over time thing that you want to do. And it takes time to build this association. You don't get it overnight. Just do it every single time and just do it kind of low and slow, okay? The other thing you want to do is give him the opportunity to eat regularly, whether he's hungry or not. And we can do this with a little by pre-making a bunch of little meals, right? That I always say the key to cooking for people with chemo, going through chemo, is you want to cook small, easy to reheat meals that can easily be frozen or easily be refrigerated. Don't take a lot of time to cook. And if they're hungry then and there, you give it to them there. You know, one of the things we used with my mom is she loves and still loves and I love is pierogies. They're these little, you can get them frozen. They got mashed potatoes in them, but those you can pre-cook or they take five minutes to cook in the microwave and then you can saute them, right? It takes five minutes. So when they're hungry, feed them. So have a lot of little snacks that are ready to go to reinforce, reward. to reward yeah. the hunger and to actually get it. And the other thing is, you know, if he's having trouble eating or chewing or like he's, you know, having trouble just eating at all, don't give him just water. Give him something that's got some kind of calories, some kind of nutrition in it. So like some chicken broth or some beef broth. Just broth has more calories than water does, right? It's got more nutrients than water does. So, or juice. Or juice, right? It's got the sugar in there. Exactly. And so this is these ideas that I talk about here, they're not the one-size-fits-all solutions because not everything's going to work for every person. They're to get your brain working just like you were talking about, Jess. You know, it's to get this idea rolling. So we want to build these associations and then capitalize and jump on the opportunity when we have that opportunity. So if that's peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or ramen noodles or pierogies or you want to pre-make this gourmet elaborate meals in four-ounce portions, go for it. I empower you. Do whatever you want. And then as a cancer patient... You also need to have the ability to say, I don't like this. And this is where the tasting journal really comes in again. You want to log every meal, every snack, everything you eat. Did I like this? Did I not like this? Did this build my appetite? Does this smelling, the, the smell of this food make me hungry, make me nauseous, get me excited, turn me off? What is it about this food that you like that you don't like? So then we can continue to repeat this pattern of success to hone in on the foods that we love and that we want to eat on a regular basis. Figuring out what works and doing more of it, exactly. figuring out what doesn't work and do less of it exactly. or not at all. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> Keep it easy. You know, work smart, not hard, right? There's no, like, if you really just don't like the smell of kale, you're probably not going to like it no matter what I do with it. You know, if you like the smell of bacon, maybe we can figure out a way to cook some more bacon in the house. You know, like, <laughs> any calorie is better than no calorie, in my opinion. So, and that's what I would do. All right. Thanks for the advice. That's all for this episode of the Cooking for Chemo podcast. Remember, you can get all of this information and more on our website, cookingforchemo.org, along with our Gourmand award-winning cookbook, Cooking for Chemo and After. I'm Jesse Callahan. And I'm Chef Ryan Callahan. Thanks for listening. Da, 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 <laughs> you had to add the music at the end. A little outro. Okay, see you guys next week.